New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. When Dr. Brian Thomas Swim joined eco-theologian and cultural historian Thomas Berry, Berry laid out this cultural challenge to Brian, pointing out that the earth itself is in peril. No doubt you, like me, are filled with apprehension at this prospect. I see signs of it all around, and I'm looking for hope to meet this challenge. And I'm excited to say my guest today has some guidance on a way forward to a future flourishing with life. And so, dear listeners, explore with me a cosmological story that can unify humanity with our guest, Dr. Brian Thomas Swim. Brian Swim is a professor at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, where he teaches evolutionary cosmology to graduate students in the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program. He's the co-creator and host of the Emmy Award-winning PBS documentary, Journey of the Universe. He's also the author of The Universe is a Green Dragon, Hidden Heart of the Cosmos, and Cosmogenesis, an Unveiling of the Expanding Universe. So join us for the next hour as we explore how the story of the universe has direct impact on the story of our personal life with our guest, Dr. Brian Thomas Swim. I'm speaking with Brian from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Brian, welcome. Thank you, Justine. So good to be here. So good to have you. Uh, Well, we have to start off with uh, the definition of what is cosmology? Cosmology is the is a study of the of the origin and development of the universe. Now, it, that that's the stop point for scientists: the origin, development of the universe. But for humanists, philosophers, there's another phrase: it's the study of the origin and development of the universe and the role of the human in the universe. Ah, ah. So then that leads us to the title of your book is 
cosmogenesis. So where does that fit into this whole frame? In a very central way, the word that that has been used about the universe as a whole is cosmos, which means in Greek, order and beauty. And of course, uh, Carl Sagan's great series, you know, it's called Cosmos. But what we've discovered, and which is revolutionary, is that the the universe isn't a cosmos. It's a cosmogenesis, which means it's in development, it's growing, it's changing, and it's been doing that for all of 14 billion years. So cosmogenesis is the story of, of, of the creativity of time, is one way of saying it. So in other words, uh, the, the universe is not dead, inert matter. You're saying it's alive and making itself anew all the time. And there's an intelligence there. Uh, is, am I getting that? Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean, one example, in the early universe, it just consists of elementary particles. And we now know something about the strength. Of, of attraction between these elementary particles. And we've also learned that if you altered that strength just slightly, the universe never would develop stars or galaxies or planets or life. So there's, there's some kind of amazing organizing dynamic that's operating at the very, very beginning of time and throughout an organizing dynamic that we call, we say a self-organizing universe. We, we have to give some kind of language to this. But another, another way of referring to it is a, it's a primordial intelligence. And the, the, the difficulty with calling it an intelligence is that then we start to think it, it's like a human. With human intelligence, it's not. It's a very different kind of intelligence, a different kind of creativity, but it is, it is a, a, a revolutionary understanding of the universe that somehow, from the beginning, it knew how to move forward to bring forth all this beauty. You write about this in your book, and, and I was so struck by the idea that these initial particles, uh, protons, neutrons, electrons, or something, uh, they didn't have a nervous system. They didn't have a brain. But yet these particles, as you say, came together by this attraction and it gave birth to, to trillions of galaxies and and there were no new particles that came along. I mean, that was it. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. That's what formed the universe. And I'm that's what I'm getting from reading your book. I mean, yeah. wow, look at all the creativity that came out of that. And they didn't have like a human brain and nervous system, uh, but yet there was something creatively happening. Absolutely. One way to understand this this change is our focus now is on the universe and the universe as a whole and its creativity. Whereas during the modern period, our focus was primarily upon the human 
and human creativity. So we, we arrived at the Cartesian or the Newtonian view that the universe out there was mechanical or inert or dead, and that we were the center of intelligence. But these great scientists, Isaac Newton, Rene Descartes, they didn't know about 14 billion years of evolutionary development. So they, they were forced, in a certain sense, to form this view. So here, here's the radical change. I can give it to you in a phrase. <laughs> and this is, this is the mind-blowing difference right here. Before we thought uh, the human mind was the most superior illustration of intelligence in the universe. Now we realize that the human mind was constructed by the universe. So that form of intelligence that is cosmic evolution that form of intelligence is primary. The human form of intelligence, as fantastic as it is, is derivative. Is oh. derivative. <laughs> so the whole, you see, is, is vastly beyond what any of their parts can uh, manifest. That's the switch right there. I'm starting to get that, that. We are not the going back to what Copernicus, we're not the center of the universe, you know, but we are part of it. We're embedded in that whole intelligent well, we're using yeah. the word intelligence, but creativity. You know, one of the things that that I have shared with many of my friends because I was so struck by the way you describe how we are made of star stuff. Now, you know, we've heard that a lot and we say, oh yeah, okay, right, we're made of star stuff. But you really bring it home. You just, Brian, you just bring it right home to us. And I want to read this paragraph because this is what I've sent to all my friends, and I just love it. You you say, um, traditional language refers to unmerited love and grace as love freely given. Stars, then, are bestowers of grace. They are bestowers of life. This is true in a general sense, but we need to bring to mind as well the specific stars that fashioned the particular atoms of our body. Oh, that just blew my socks off, Brian. You go on to say, soon the scientists will trace our personal biographies back to the exact stars that gave us our bodies. Following that, the poets will give these ancestors' names, we, and here's the most important part, we are their offspring. We're those particular stars in later form. Oh, so beautifully said. I just, can you understand how it just like really moved me that to feel like, oh, I'm not only a maid of stars, I am made of stars. I This star gave its life for me. 
And then to think of someday we can, they'll trace back. I was hoping mine would be Beta Libra from the Libra constellation, but I think that star, I looked it up and I think that star hasn't exploded yet. So uh, anyway, um, that just shows a little glimpse of the kind of poetry that you've also added to all the mathematical, cosmological, scientific work that you do. You're rather a, a scientific poet, I would say. Well, thanks, you know? Justine. And yeah. that is, you know, I, I, um, I, I think of the of the of the scientists uh, who, over the last four centuries, did this this amazing work. I mean. You know, the hours and the years and the decades and the centuries that went into this careful examination of matter. And then coming up with this, I mean, talk about an incredible story. And it's, it is a story that's empirically based. And I mean, we really are the first generation uh, to know in an empirical sense that the stars actually fashioned our our bodies. I mean, just think of the humans, you know, for the last 100,000 years, how many of them wondered about this? But we've come to know it. Exactly, exactly. I'm here with Dr. Brian Swim, and he is the author of Cosmogenesis, an unveiling of the expanding universe. And if you want to know more about his work, go to storyoftheuniverse.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Brian Thomas Swim, and we're talking about cosmogenesis. Brian, as a narrator in this book, you actually tell stories. You included your personal stories and all their twists and turns, your vulnerability, your ups and downs. And going back to one story in the second grade, I think it was with Sister Isabella or something. And she mentioned something about a dwarf star, a single tablespoon of a dwarf star weighs 15 tons. And as a little kid, you, you were thinking, oh, my goodness. Well, that's how many station wagons. <laughs> but I was thinking, 
Brian, this, like in the second grade, really started you on a trajectory. Just that little bit of scientific information that she sort of blurted out and it like impressed you. Do you remember that? Oh, very much. Yeah. It was just a suggestion uh, from, like you say, Sister Isabel Mary and um, ignited something inside of me because it really got me going in that direction. And um, then later on, um, when I was talking to her, she was in her 80s, and I, I thanked her again for bringing me into the world of stars. And she said, I really knew so little. You know, she just, mm-hmm. just but she had a sense, I guess, of me and of, of the universe. And it, it's amazing how it just takes a little an introduction of an idea to determine the entire trajectory of a life. At least it was in my case. I know, I know. And another moment that you talk about, I, I think you were in graduate school by this time. I'm I'm not sure the chronology, but you're sitting outside in nature and you pick up a pebble and you release it and you then you pick it up again and you release it and you pick it up again. And then suddenly you realize, not theoretically, yeah. Not because of all the math you know and all the formulas you've worked out and studied, but you realize there is some invisible force going on here, right here, right now. And it becomes very like the force, we co- we call it gravity, but yeah. who knows what it is? I mean, I'm not sure if we even still know what it is, but yeah. that it's this force of attraction that pulls this rock out of your hand. Was that like a kind of moment if science became very experiential? That was a crossover point. Uh, just to say again, what you just went through is that I, I had been studying the mathematics of gravitation for you know years in graduate school. And so I, I knew how to predict where objects would go under gravitational influence. But I I didn't know why. You see, I didn't know when you release a rock from your hand, it falls. But we, and so we think, well, that's because it's heavy. But you see, if we're way out in space and and I took my hand, released the rock, it wouldn't move at all. So there's something that, that is, is pulling things together. And in that moment, I experienced, it's a very simple thing. I mean, I'm not saying this is esoteric. It's just, there's nothing simpler than, than realizing that, that we are attracted. There is, there is a, there's a force throughout the universe that attracts. And in that moment, I, and that it is that force that built the stars. We have no doubt about it. But to feel it in my own daily life, in, my, in this ordinary way, suddenly I realized that I was immersed in that same power that built the galaxies and stars. And it still is, it, it sends chills down my spine just to realize that, that we are, are that close to this, this, the ultimate power that, that shaped the universe. I, 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 lo- I love that, that, that you 
experience that, and and we all, I, children, uh, they babies are testing that theory constantly, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. They're pushing things off a table to see <laughs> is it going to be attracted to the floor. <laughs> I mean, constantly. So uh, uh, there's another image that you give us that I I just found so uh, brilliant, uh, or I was moved by it. You say, if if we cup our hands, and in that cupping our hands, as if we're scooping up some water, if we cup our hands, we will be uh, get 7,000, in that moment, 7,000 protons of primordial light from the dawn of time that's been ripping through space i I, I, so you you're just you're helping us to understand hey we are immersed in something and it's this light coming to us primordial light from the origins of the universe uh wow so any comment about that one (laughs) The uh, well, you just said it exactly. The photons, there are photons arriving right here, and and you know we can say something like, "Hey, the scientists have a big theory. It's called the Big Bang theory, and it says this, it says that." But but to bring it home, and to realize that that right here, right now, these photons are arriving after traveling for fourteen billion years. They're here now. I mean, you know, so we, uh, I, I have great respect for earlier cultures. All of them have wisdom that is, that is irreplaceable. But, but so do we. We have something that is new and unique and important. We have this, this ability to, to discover empirically that we are directly connected to the origin of the universe. I mean, at one time, there was nothing but this primordial light, these, this primordial quanta. That's all there was. And then it expanded out and complexified, and, and now here we are. And so light from the beginning is still arriving here, and we can detect it physically. I mean, this is, like you brought up poetry, you see, the scientists, you know, we did we did our best. I mean, we, we got the details, we got the mathematics, we got the equations, but it's going to take artists and poets to, to bring home into the heart what it is that we're immersed in. It's not just a theory, it's 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 an experience of ourselves as existing simultaneously here and at the beginning of time. So I, I believe what you're talking about, Brian, is really a kind of spiritual rebirth in this uh, story of a cosmogenesis that you're you're really telling. Is that what is needed right now? Is that is this the story that might unify us in some way? Yeah, I mean that that is. That is certainly what that fascinates me about this, because the um, 
the the story of 14 billion years of of creativity that story doesn't come from any one person millions of people are involved it doesn't come from any one culture there are chinese physicists and and nicaraguan physicists and american chemists and the new story of an evolutionary universe draws upon all of the major civilizations of our time. And it's not just drawing from those who are alive. It's drawing from thousands upon thousands of years of reflection that enable us to come to this insight. You see, we we are the beneficiaries of all of that work. So this, we in a real sense, it's humanity as a whole that is discovering its place in the universe, in this ongoing, evolving, creative universe. Maybe as one last line here is just to say this. As we, as we enter into an experience of this creativity, we realize that we are fundamentally not just American, not just Chinese, not just Democrats, not just French, not just Republicans. We are the universe carrying forth in its mission about which we don't know a great deal. But nevertheless, we do know that we are immersed in it, in this drama. Yes. Wow. Yes. May it be so. And so this is our evolving consciousness, hopefully in a collective way. Uh, Yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering uh, because like in the subtitle of your book, um, the an unveiling of the expanding universe. So, what what does uh, an expanding universe? What does it have to do with, and how does it affect our human experience? Oh, that's a deep question. In many ways, for sure, the one I would want to bring up now is 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 to say that that everything in the universe, every everything that we know about, all the entities, all of them have developed through time. None of them are are fixed or static. Now that is. I mentioned this earlier on. That is the revolutionary change. Uh, it's something that Plato didn't know about, Confucius didn't know about. So how how to really bring this in? L- let me just say this: that the way I think about it is, you know, two hundred thousand years ago, two hundred thousand years ago, uh, humans, the Homo sapiens, uh, first began. It might have been three hundred. It might have been a hundred. The, the transition is, is is subtle, and we don't have it nailed down. We never will, because it's a um, it's a subtle process. But just I say, two hundred thousand years ago, the 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 brains and the bodies were very similar to our own, and and yet, j- just think of this. Uh, there's it's most likely the case that that none of the humans back then could count. 
that was developed through time. And, and none of the humans back then, uh, th this is a speculation by archaeologists and anthropologists and evolutionary biologists, none of the humans back then could recall an event from their personal past. So let me let me interrupt you right here in the middle of this. Remember where we are. Yes. And I just want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Dr. Brian Swim, and he's the author of Cosmogenesis. And I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Brian Swim, and we're talking about uh, primordial time. We're talking about uh, our ancestors and and how they had no memory of the past. Is that? Yeah. The um. This is a. <laughs> this is this is an amazing um, discovery. Really, it is that that. The speculations are that early humans were not able to recall an event from their personal past and share it with others. It, and this is what, to learn that, to develop the capacity for that, humans went into caves and drew pictures. Now, it, now we think of it as like, okay, you go in a cave and you draw a picture, big deal. But that it's for them, it was a big deal. Is this like what you write about? Is this like reproductive imagination? Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, so that so that the reproductive imagination, the ability to bring back to recall an event from the past, this was developed by us. We didn't have this capacity. Uh, in an in an actualized form at the beginning, we had to bring it forth. So we'd reproduce things on the cave walls and that that started to develop this imagination. Exactly. Exactly. It's it was they were developing the power of the symbol. That this uh, an artifact that was created outside of them and it was placed on the wall, and then suddenly they're looking at this, and they're all realizing they're remembering an event from the past. The reason I bring this all up is to say, if, if we look at the capacities we have as humans, each of them was developed over time. That's, that's the, the realization that comes from living inside an expanding universe. And so as opposed to thinking of humans as fixed. Now, see, you have, a, you have a simplistic story of saying humans were here for 10,000 years, just like we are now. No, all of our capacities were developed through time. And so, Justine, the, the hopeful interpretation is this. We are in that process of developing a, a unitive global consciousness where we realize our unity 
as much as we realize our differences. May it be so. And I, I think that you really talk about this in the in terms of uh, Thomas Berry. He I think he mentioned it time developmental imagination. So we're moving into this, you know, moving away from this symbolic consciousness that that we've had into some other kind of imaginational world. It, can you help me with this? Yeah, it would be it we we will still be employing symbolic consciousness, but we will we will be we will be experiencing the time developmental aspect of the universe. So this is this is something that can be done um, directly by anyone. Uh, uh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> it ha- it happened when I was thinking about our dog Emily. I mean, it. So here's Emily. We all love Emily, our little dog, and um, you know we know her personality. It's different than the other dogs on the street and all the rest of it. And I was just sitting there thinking about it, and then I I imagined. Oh, I asked the question: Where did Emily's personality come from? Right. Um, it's. And then I and then I went back and just reflected on evolutionary time. So, of course, <laughs> there, there it is. Though there's the time developmental imagination which we can develop now. Not the, in the past; it wasn't known. So I, I just you know imagined going back uh, two billion years when every living organism was a single cell. A single cell. Now you have to imagine a cell as being smaller than the sharp end of a pin. So all of all over the earth are unicellular organisms. And then over this, over the last two billion years, they began to get together and do what? One thing. Deepen their relationship. <laughs> That's all they you know in different ways, deepening their relationship. And then over time, over time, we have we have whales and dolphins and my little dog, Emily. You see, the process of convergence among these cells, that process ignited uh, qualities that never existed before, like Emily's personality. Now, to, to say it in, theoretically is one thing, but to experience it directly with, with another living organism can be your can be your dog or your spouse or it, it can be an object. Uh, it, that is what time. That's what Thomas Berry meant by time developmental consciousness. We can experience. We can feel directly the depths of time in the way uh, no previous generation could. It's 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 our task to develop that. That's what it means to to live into this new story. Oh, I I want to feel that even more. Uh, to live into this story, just say it again, say it again, so that I, I'm really receiving it, because it, it feels important right now. Walking into a forest and feeling the way in which these these magnificent trees that live for centuries um, arrived here uh, 
from the oceans uh, beginning 400 million years ago. They, they're on this, they're on a journey just like we are. They marched across the continents. And so we find ourselves in the midst of these, of these elders. They're all elders in terms of the evolutionary process. And, and now compare that to the, the modern industrial attitude that will look at a tree and just see it as plywood. You see, that the, the depths of time are, are, are missing from that the, the, the form of consciousness that sees the universe as, as simply a collection of objects that are here for our use, as opposed to what we're realizing with time developmental consciousness. We are in the midst of a, of a deep, creative drama in which we have an essential role to play as a member, as a member of the earth community, not the Lord master of the earth community, but a member. And we bring our own, our own special genius to it, just as the, the other species do. I, I'm thinking that there was a time in human consciousness when we felt more at unity with nature. We, we didn't feel separate. I mean, uh, some people look back on that and they might report on that as, oh, it was magical thinking or something like that, that, uh, that they believe that trees were living entities or, or, you know, all of that uh, stuff. And they, they call that magical. Uh, but, but in some ways we were more in tune with that wholeness of nature and we were part of it and then something happened i don't know if it was when agriculture came in or whatever happened and then we started to pull away from that and become very separated from that that we are are different from that or more intelligent or we we can use that in whatever ways we see fit do you, do you hear what i'm saying I do, I do, and and uh, I um, certainly that we've made all kinds of mistakes. Um, every every era of humanity has made mistakes and has has accomplished great things. Uh, I guess the thing that I would want to emphasize is that um, our our movement away from a more unified consciousness was in order to explore. Uh, something that was new and exciting, and that was this, you know, what we call the scientific investigation. And it is it is true that that to devote yourself to a scientific study is often to commit yourself to the study of a part. And and uh, one time I was having a conversation with an evolutionary biologist who had discovered one of the oldest uh, fossils on the planet. And, and I said, and I was going off about saying, wow, did you feel like you were back there when you discovered that? And, and he, you know, he, he, he didn't have any of my enthusiasm. He waited until I quieted down. <laughs> and then he said, and he said, you know, I, I've been staring at dust for 14 hours a day for seven years in order to find this fossil. He goes, you, you try it and see how much emotional excitement you have left in you. My point is that the discovery, the discovery of the 
evolution of the matter of the universe came at a great cost. Mm-hmm. Scientists had to, in a certain sense, uh, sacrifice the, uh, a well-rounded um, being, but they gave us something that's an amazing gift. Mm-hmm. And now, see, this is our time now, bringing it together, bringing these discoveries together, like, like I say, with the arts, with other elements of culture, so that we can enter into a new unified consciousness. That's the hope. I love that. I love that. Thank you. I'm just thinking about your own enthusiasm. And I think of it here. It was a Jack and the Beanstalk moment for you. I'm calling it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so you're teaching at the University of Puget Sound and, and you're presenting this paper for this new curriculum and this new course of study. And you walk into the trustees and they've been meeting for three days and they're all tired and you're the last one to present. And I love it because you come in with such enthusiasm (laughs) and you, you're, you're, and your wonderment is just written all over you about the cosmos and the the cosmology of it all and the universe expanding and and they're saying they're looking at you and someone says oh oh we're going to talk about cosmetology about uh, eyeliner and it's like oh my goodness and after that, after that meeting, which didn't go as you really no, landed, um, you know, I, and that's what I call a Jack and the Beanstalk uh, moment, that it was like the mother who throws the beans out uh, in the ground and then this beanstalk starts to grow. And that's when Jack climbs that beanstalk. He goes on his adventure. Uh, and there you are, you know, somehow after that, things really change for you. And we'll come back to that in just one moment. But I want to remind our listeners, uh, I'm so grateful to you for your enthusiasm and that your sense of wonderment has remained to this very day. Thank you. I'm talking with Brian Thomas swim and he's the author of cosmogenesis an unveiling of the expanding universe and i'm justine willis toms you're listening to new dimensions I'm here with Dr. Brian Thomas Swim, and he's the author of Cosmogenesis. And um, I want to go back. There's so many beautiful, wonderful stories and revealing stories. And there is this 
one story. I think it was it if I get the sequence right, I think it was after you your your wife, beautiful wife, Denise. I mean, <laughs> she is amazing. I mean, I, 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 let's just talk about amazing Denise that just keeps on supporting you in, in all of your incarnations. You know, it, it just, yeah. Thank, yeah. thank you, Denise. Thank you, Denise. Um, so at some point she's reaching, you're in, near Seattle and she's reaching and she's scooping up some water from the Salish Sea and she says, no barnacles live here. And that is kind of followed in a moment when you all are struggling and even financially struggling and you're laying on your back in a basement on top of mouse droppings trying to fix an old furnace. And <laughs> I, there's some point that you talk about your father-in-law wanted you to go into, maybe in undergraduate school, to some sort of mathematics to become an actuary banker, you know, because it's going to financially really help you out, you know, and it's, you know, it'll provide for your family. And and he even set you up to talk to one of these people people who do this for a living and do you recall meeting that person and what your response to him was yeah my i um i i yeah you talked about my sense of wonderment it it, it also is related to a sense of naivete i i just assumed that when i met him and he found out that i was i studied the mathematics of of the cosmos and its development, I thought he'd be thrilled, just thrilled, and and, and he had no interest whatsoever. But it was, um, I think, there are these moments when we we are we're confronted with um, hard decisions, and um, I I just I just felt so um, so thrilled by this this whole idea of a, of a new cosmological story that would would give rise to a new civilization I was so thrilled by that that I I found I found a way to to turn down these other which I think of now as like temptations to pull me off my path mm-hmm. you know I, and I love your I love your jack and the beanstalk <laughs> image because it, in a certain sense I, you know, I felt like I was, I was being thrown out the window. You know, yeah. and then the, I and I couldn't have, I couldn't have, um, I couldn't have developed in inside the story uh, if I stayed in that in a, that small container. Exactly. You know, I, I know that you had before you left um, the uh, Puget Sound University. There was one professor who was a kind of mentor and friend to you, and that was Dolores Morrow. And and she was a classics uh, professor. I mean, very different from yours, not a scientific. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, here's, I want to read the advice Great. that she gave to you as you were leaving 
the university, she says here, and I quote you, one last thing, now listen to me. When things get hard, and they will, you will sometimes wonder if you should have stayed here. When that happens, I want you to remember what I'm about to tell you. You will find a guide. You have a path ahead of you, a path I cannot travel, but you can. You have the necessary spiritual resilience. And you ask her, what? What is spiritual resilience? And what does that mean? And she said, the ability to leap off cliffs. <laughs> you know, and that's some advice we can all take here. And 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 you leapt off the cliff in and I'm just gonna go way forward now. You you know, you yeah. you got there in different ways through our very dear friend uh Matthew Fox and yeah. others and just in Ken Fight. Oh, you know, I had to look up our old interviews where Ken Fight, we have him on oh, tape and we're going to uh wow. resurrect that. Thank you uh, so much for uh, mentioning him and as a holy fool. And yeah. but you ended up um with Matthew Fox, and that led you to Thomas Berry. Yes. And yeah. that was life-changing. Yeah. So uh, please relay to us what uh, that meant to you to to meet him and to be uh, a student of his. It was, like you say, life-changing. And he, he, was, he was the guy that Dolores predicted. Uh, it, it, um, it was... When I first encountered him in in one of his articles, it it really felt like um, it was something that I, that I could have written. I could have written it, but it was it was written better than I could and had a deeper understanding. But I'm just saying, the resonance was so deep, you know. So then we we worked together and and for ten years and, and wrote a book together. But it was it was it was discovering someone. Who had who had also um, leapt off the cliff and and into a, a new order of um, understanding, a new way of being a human being. He was um, he just was one of these remarkable individuals. When I was asked to to reflect on what it was like uh, working with Thomas Berry, uh, and I and I I said something about his insights, but I, the title of my article says it all. I'm having coffee with Pythagoras. Mm. That's what it felt like. Yeah. You, you have a cup of coffee, but you're with a, a figure that had historic significance that, that was, was hard to um, take in. It was so, so fabulous. And um, he was so ahead of his time. I mean, I remember his uh, reflections were not easy to take in, you know. To really, really, do you remember one in particular? Oh well, I remember when he was talking about the Earth and what we're doing to the Earth mm -hmm. and uh, where we're going, and it was so dire. 
And I remember, oh, saying, oh, this is so negative. This is so negative. Yeah. So yeah. We're going to figure this out. And he really would have none of it because he knew that we were not in the right consciousness yet to really grasp the immensity of what we're facing and what we're facing right now today that we see because of our inability to get there faster in in a in opening our consciousness to to the reality of of what's happening so for me that that was yeah. it. that was yeah. part of it uh and and I know that that he writes about um <laughs> How and, and you mentioned this in your book. How we are Earth. We are a living, sentient planet, and it's not like we are living on the Earth. Yeah, yeah. We are Earth. We are a sentient planet. Uh, yes. Uh, so help uh, help us yeah. uh, with that, that one. Well, that would we, be. That would be one of the crucial insights that that uh, Thomas Berry celebrated, and there are different ways of of thinking about this. But to connect it to what we've been talking about, the the feeling uh, one can experience uh, coming out of the earth, in in what uh, Thomas Berry called time developmental consciousness, and um, I. I at first it was it was shocking for me because it's a it's turning things upside down um in his his way of thinking at first it was shocking but then it it became sort of almost obvious and in in the way the way i i feel it is when I, in any moment um no matter where i am if it if it comes over me i will simply dwell on the fact that four billion years ago, the entire earth was molten rock. Now that means that means all of the elements, all of the all of the atoms of carbon, phosphorus, all of the nitrogen atoms, all of them were molten rock. Molten rock. I mean, you just have to take it in. And then you just, there's that planet, all molten rock. Just leave it alone for four billion years, and suddenly Brian sprouts out. And Justine sprouts out. You see that? I mean, that we come out of molten rock. Now, some people will hear that and they'll, they'll say, oh, you're just a reductionist scientist. You're trying to reduce this down to molten rock. And I, I, that's not exactly the point. The point is that the entire universe is swept up with creativity. Oh, wow. I, I, you know, we could go on and on. I just love, love being with you, Brian. You're just, just this amazing <laughs> incarnation of molten rock. <laughs> oh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Brian Thomas Swim, and he's the author of Cosmogenesis and Unveiling of the expanding universe and if you want to know more about his work um, you can go to storyoftheuniverse.org or you can get there through the new dimensions website newdimensions.org i'm justine willis toms you've been listening to new dimensions 
This is program number 3774. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.